You can just keep playing through the whole message, Jamal, that we just have a nice look. <laughs> so that would work. So that would be that would be great. So, hey, um, what a day, huh? What a great day to celebrate what God's doing. And as we start this new series on Galatians, uh, we get to look at this fascinating book, and I'll give you what I call the Galatians 101 in just a few moments. But before we get there, we need to understand that all of us, part of being designed as a human being, part of being designed in the image of God, part of that design means this, that each and every one of us has purpose. We have a mission. We have something that God has called us to do. And, and uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, that we are to bring glory to God. That's what we are to do. That's part of what our mission is. That's the main thing to do, is to bring Him glory. And so as we look at this, as I was, I was, uh, as I was thinking about how we approach this, especially these first five verses of Galatians 1, what occurred to me was this, was that Paul's on a mission. He's on a mission, and let's take, let's, let me talk to, you a few, uh, talk to you for just a few minutes about different missions that different companies have. Southwest Airlines has this as their mission. The mission of Southwest Airlines is dedication to the highest quality of customer service delivered with a sense of warmth, friendliness, individual pride, and company spirit. Every time that I've flown Southwest Airlines, except for those times when they've been late, but I've had a wonderful experience with them. Great, there's a great atmosphere on the plane. There's a great interaction with their, with their flight attendants, the pilots, all of that. They're living this out. Google has this as their mission, to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. How successful have they been? Consider this. We now tell one another, hey, go Google this. It's become part of our vernacular. That's how successful they've been at that. Coca-Cola, here's their mission statement, to refresh the world in mind, body, and spirit. I have issues with this because, yes, Coca-Cola is very good, but I don't know how good it is for you, you know. But when they say mind, body, it's like, well, look at my body. It's not, you know, that, that's everything. But then it says this. It was very interesting. To inspire moments to ins get this to inspire moments of optimism and happiness through our brands and actions what a mission what a mission statement that they have and then starbucks to inspire and nurture the human spirit one person one cup and one neighborhood at a time these mission statements that these companies uphold everything that they do flows through that mission statement. Our mission as FBC Salinas is, is to, to proclaim one message of loving God and loving people, to have this response of worshiping him in, in, in with ev that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, and to have a purpose of going out and making disciples wherever we may go. That is our mission. Everything that we do flows through that. And Paul is on that mission now, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles or go there on your, on your phone to, uh, to Galatians chapter 1 and listen to what this has to say. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, 
who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes, that we would see the beauty and the greatness of your grace, that you would open our ears, that we can hear from you that message of grace that we need to desperate that we need to hear so clearly that you would open our minds that we could understand more fully what grace means and how that impacts our lives and that you would open our hearts that we would be transformed in such a way that we would live lives dominated by grace filled with your grace to extend grace to those that you place in our lives and lord i pray that you'd be lifted up and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help people hear the words that you want them to hear, and that you would give me the strength to say what needs to be said, and the clarity with which to say it, and that you, Lord Jesus, would be glorified. In your name we pray, amen. So as I said just a few moments ago, Paul is on a mission. But as we open this series on Galatians, there's a few things that we need to know, and, and I call it Galatians 101. This Galatians may very well be the first letter that Paul ever wrote. It comes to us, and how do we know that? It's because it was written around 55 AD. So Jesus Christ, 30 to 33 AD, rises from the dead. And so within two decades, this letter is written. It's fresh, it's it, and there's this powerful message of grace because, because God's grace invaded Paul in such a powerful way that he wanted to get it on paper. Paul eventually, or not paper, parchment, I should say, but Paul got, shares this message wherever he was going. And Galatia, just so you know where it is on the map, is in the area of modern-day Turkey. All right, so just sort of picture that on a map. That's where all this is happening. And Paul has a reason for this letter. And it is a very, very important reason. It's this. False teachers have infiltrated the church. Let that sink in a little bit. Jesus Christ came, he lived for 33 years or so, dies on a cross, rises from the dead, and within 20 or so years, there's already false teaching going on. It's amazing how rapidly this false teaching happens. It happened so quickly. Paul lays out what Jesus Christ has done for the people. People respond to it in Galatia, and they're all excited about this. But now, all of a sudden, there's false teaching going on. And one of the things that alarms me is how much false teaching continues going on. This morning, I'm not going to delineate all the different false teaching that is out there, but there is false teaching all the time. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been happening for a long time. And Paul's desire is for people to understand the truth. One of our core values here is spiritual formation. We take that very seriously here. And I would tell you this with great confidence, that the people that we have teaching from the youngest to the oldest, I would say are fantastic teachers. 
and their purpose is to communicate clearly the truths of God's word in a, in a culture, in a society that sort of looks at God's word and says, we'll take it or leave it. So whether you're a young person or an older person, know this, that the people that are teaching your children, your students, the adults, know this, that these teachers, they know what they're talking about. They do their work. They do their prep work. They make sure that what they're presenting is true, that it lines up with God's word. And by the way, real quickly, if you have questions, please ask. Please ask. Ask those questions because the only way that you're going to get an answer is by asking that question. You can ask me what it felt, how it feels to, to go and watch the U.S. Open. That's fine. Felt great, by the way, as you can tell by my face. But ask other questions. Ask questions that are about your life. Ask questions about what God's word has to say. Please don't hesitate. Email me, text me, whatever the case may be, let me know. Or let these other, other teachers know as well. We're here for you. And I wish I could get around this, but I can't get around this. When it comes to the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, you need to know this, that in a couple of words, Paul is ticked off. He's not a happy camper. If you're looking for a warm, fuzzy experience, Galatians is not the book for you. You need to read it. You need to spend time in it. But this is not a book that you're going to say, oh, I just want a nice cup of hot cocoa and just cuddle up with it. That's not going to happen here. Paul is angry. And there's no getting around that. And some of you might say, well, wait a second. That, isn't, that doesn't seem very Christ-like. Well, we need to be reminded of this. It is okay to be angry. It is okay to be angry when we see people being oppressed by treatment that ensnares them and harms them. And that's what's going on. When we see that type of behavior going on in all our lives, it's okay to be angry. If there's an abusive situation going on, we don't turn a blind eye to it and say, well, I hope it gets better. We address the issue. We deal with it. It's okay to be angry. God cares for humanity. And you can read from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22, God is constantly concerned about humanity. And when humanity turns away, when humanity decides to go and get enslaved by something, God doesn't sit there and say, well, you had it coming. He gets upset about it. His motivation is, I want to set people free. And that's, what, that's what's going on here with Paul. We can never, ever, and this is what was going on, this false teaching that was going on. This, these false teachers were saying that what Jesus Christ did was not enough. You need to do something more. You need to add to it to make sure that you know that Christ is with you. We can never, ever, ever gain God's approval without his grace infiltrating our lives. There's no amount of good works that you can do, that I can do, that any of us can do together where, where we can say, see God, we, we took care of it on our own. We can't do that. And that's what these false teachers were trying to convince the people of. 
And Paul could not tolerate it, and he wasn't about to tolerate it. So Paul, he's a man on a mission. We read these verses again. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Paul introduces us, or he introduces himself to the people in Galatia. They already knew who he was. He had been there already. But he opens us up by reminding them that he is an apostle. We see that word in a variety of ways throughout the New Testament. And perhaps you're here this morning wondering, what does it mean to be an apostle? Well, it means a variety of things, but there are three that I want to address that are very pertinent here with the Galatians. The first is this, to be an apostle, to be an apostle, you must have seen the risen Lord. You must have seen the risen Lord. Well, perhaps you're here this morning thinking, wait a second, I know about this Paul guy. And he was not one of the original 12. So how can he claim to be an apostle? You have to see the risen Lord. Well, we have this encounter, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts 9. Listen to what happens here. <clears throat> in Acts 9, it says this, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. Now this is Saul who becomes Paul, changes his name because he's going to go work with the Greeks and the Gentiles. As he, verse 3, as Paul, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I love, Paul, I love Saul's question. Who are you, Lord? That's a great question. It's a great question. But what's interesting is this, is the next line. It says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He doesn't say that this, he, he, he claims who he is. Paul is having this encounter with the risen Lord. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Paul, an apostle. To be an apostle, you need to have had an encounter with the risen Lord. You need to have seen the risen Lord. So we go to Acts 9. Saul, at that time, has this incredible experience on the road to Damascus. Second thing is this, a direct revelation to a call of apostleship. Again, we stay in Acts 9. We go to verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, and this is the guy who took care of Saul, says this, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Boom. You need to see the risen Lord, then you need to have a direct revelation to a call to apostleship. Check that box off, because Saul has that, Paul has that. 
And then the last thing is this, one of the other things that's important to know, is this. There needs to be visible, concrete evidence of apostleship. You read through the encounters that Paul has with different people throughout his life, and lives are changed right and left. God is using Paul to do all these great things. So Paul opens his letter to the Galatians immediately saying, I'm an apostle. In essence, what he's saying is, I have the authority. I have not just a little bit of an authority. I am an apostle. I have apostolic authority. These false teachers are claiming that they have the authority, but they haven't seen the risen Lord. They haven't received a direct revelation from him. And lives are only being changed in a detrimental, destructive way because of them. So Paul is not, not happy right now. And he's establishing his authority. And also it's this. Notice what he says next in verse 1. He says, sent not from man, not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. He says, not only am I an apostle, but I am sent by God. For those of us that are older, it's sort of hard to not read this and think and not think of the Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. Paul is on a mission from God. He's sent from God. Therefore, his message must be in line with God. It has to be consistent. If it's not consistent, then he can't proclaim this message. And that's what he's lining up with these false teachers. He's saying their message is this, God's message is that. They're not lining up. No matter how much they want to try and convince you, it does not line up. But Paul's message lines up. I have some friends in from Scottsdale who are here for this small golf tournament that's going on at, out at Pebble Beach. And they're here in Scottsdale. They love golf just as much as I do. If you were in our house for the past few days, you would say, these guys are the biggest golf nerds I've ever met in my life. Well, we're guilty. We're having a great time. We were at dinner the other day. Actually, we were at breakfast yesterday, and we had this conversation. And it involved this, is that if your life does not line up with Jesus Christ as far as the message that he proclaims, one of grace and peace. If your life does not measure up, people aren't going to pay any attention to what you say to them. Paul's message is consistent with what God's message is, one of rescuing people. One filled with compassion, one filled with grace, one filled with humility. His message lines up, and, and as we had this conversation yesterday morning at breakfast, I, my conclusion was this, if you know that you're, if, if, if you're claiming to be a Christ follower, and yet the way you treat people is poorly, you probably need to be quiet. Does that make sense? We have enough issues going on with proclaiming the gospel message, a gospel that rescues people. We, if we are not consistently living that out, number one, we should be convicted of what we're doing. We should feel a sense of unease. But also, we need to be very careful what's going on in our own lives. Paul wants this message out. 
He wants this message out and he wants it to be proclaimed clearly. And then he says this, who raised Jesus from the dead. This is in the first verse. He's making a proclamation of the resurrection. That changes a person's perspective. It changes what's going on in that person's life. Because no matter what's going on in your life, and as he's talking to the Galatians, they're going through a rough patch. But he immediately, he immediate, he immediately refers to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because this God who rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead, can bring hope into any hopeless situation. The reason why we say he is risen, he is risen indeed every Sunday since I've been here is because oftentimes many come here on a Sunday morning feeling hopeless, feeling defeated, feeling that there's nothing good going on at all in their lives. And that proclamation that he is risen, he is risen indeed, it is a proclamation of hope. It is a proclamation that is true. It is a proclamation that can help encourage people to keep going. No matter what's going on in your life right now, and, and as Paul is writing this, who, who, as he's writing it to the Galatians, and he says that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, that gives hope. If you have no hope about Jesus Christ rising from the dead, I wonder if you have a heartbeat. Because he rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we can have hope in this hopeless world. And then he says, and all the brothers and sisters with me. To stay on the mission requires a team. To stay on a mission requires requires a team. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. We want to think that we can stand on our own, but the reality is this, is that we need to be in relationship with one another. It's part of the reason why I emphasize people getting involved in life groups. Because when we're involved in life groups, it's, it's life touching life, it's, it's caring for one another, it's walking through life together. In the life group that, I, that I'm in, that Don and I are in, we have the wonderful time ministering to one another. And our life group has experienced some really rough water in the last eight, nine months. But we've been able to work with one another. We've been able to pray with one another. We've been there for one another. There's no such thing as solo Christianity. And Paul, arguably one of the greatest, Christ, one of the greatest Christ followers of all time, has a team around him. Oftentimes we forget that, but he's with a team of people who were keeping him involved. About two years ago, you guys allowed me and sent me to, uh, on a mission trip to Africa. Some of you said, we just want to give you a one-way ticket. I didn't appreciate that very much, Greg Oney, um, but anyway. <laughs> but while there, while there, I learned this proverb, an African proverb. And it's not going to be up on the screen, but listen to what this says. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, 
go together. It's our desire. It's our desire at FBC Salinas. It's our desire that we go far. For 140 some odd years, this church has been going. And it's not because we've been going by one person. It's because we've been going as one person, as a body, working together for Jesus Christ. We can go far. And we're going to keep going far. Because we're with one another. We care for one another. And, and yes, there are going to be times when we hit bumps in the road where we're going to have issues with one another. But by golly, we're going to keep moving forward. God is not done with FBC Salinas. How do we know he's not done? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And then he says this, verse 3, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a man on a mission who then provides a greeting on a mission. He provides this greeting, and I love what he says here. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I brought this up earlier. Paul is not warm and fuzzy. This is the warmest and fuzziest statement that he makes in this entire letter. So this is it. This is all you're going to get as far as warm and fuzzy. And he says, grace and peace to you. The very people that he's very upset with and angry with, he's, he's talking to them because he loves them so much and he wants them to know that this message that he's about to give to them is one of grace and peace. And yes, it's not a warm, fuzzy letter, but Paul brings a message of grace and peace that permeates the entire letter. It permeates everything that he says. So perhaps you're here this morning wondering what does grace mean? We talk about that word a lot. Here's a quick definition for you. Grace means this. It is God's free and unmerited favor towards sinful humanity. God's free. It's free. It's unmerited. It's an unmerited favor towards sinful humanity, supremely demonstrated in Jesus Christ's redemptive work. What is grace? Jesus Christ. It's the work that he did for us. It's going to a cross. It's dying on that cross. It's rising from the dead. That's the message of grace. We extend grace to one another. Why do we extend grace? Because we need to extend grace in an ungracious world. It's one of the most attractive things about Christ. It should be one of the most attractive things about Christ followers is that we extend grace to people that don't deserve it. In our eyes, they don't deserve it. But we extend grace because that is something that this world doesn't understand. It just doesn't understand it very well at all. So he says grace, and then he says this, and peace. And peace. What is peace that he's talking about? Basically, what he's talking about is a state of wholeness, meaning peace with God and peace with one another. Peace with God and peace with one another. Peace with God and peace with one another.
Are there people in your life with whom you have no peace? Are there people in your life with whom you're having conflict? Because that peace that Paul's talking about here isn't just between you and God. That peace that he's talking about here is peace with everybody around us. As I was preparing the message, that hit me pretty hard. Because there are times in my life where I'm not at peace with other people. And God prompts me, God provides opportunity for me to make peace with, with those that I'm in conflict. Humanity always has issues with peace. Our history is littered with it, our issues with peace. Paul has issues with these false teachers that are bringing in a hurtful, harmful message. And Paul's on a mission to make things right, to bring about peace in a very tense situation. My prayer for this community of Christ followers, one of my prayers is this, Lord, bring us peace between one another. Help us get healed up with one another. Because there's different conflicts going on all the time, and my prayer is that we would be at peace not only with God, but with one another. And Paul's bringing this attitude of grace and peace. And I ask you this, when you meet people, what kind of attitude are you bringing them? Is it an attitude of peace and grace, or is it an attitude of, I'm going to get you? You see the difference there? Because Paul's loaded for bear here. I just want you to know, he's loaded for bear in this, in this, uh, in this letter but he is coming at them with a graceful and peaceful attitude. A graceful attitude that says, I'm going to extend unmerited favor toward you. I'm going to work towards bringing peace in this situation. So how are you approaching people? How do you go to people? How are you being received? And true grace and true peace always originate with the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They have grace and peace with, within, them, within, within the Godhead. That's the way they operate. And it originates there. And it's seen specifically and beautifully in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this in verse 4. Well, I'll start at verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he focuses in on Jesus because that's what this letter is about. It's about Jesus Christ. He says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have a man with a mission. We have a greeting on a mission. And now we have a message on a mission. 
verses 4 and 5, and really specifically verse 4, lay out the entire mission that, that Paul is on, the entire message that Paul is on. He says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. One of the beautiful things that Paul does in this entire letter, and he's dealing with Jewish, he's dealing with these Judaizers who want people, who want uh, to add to what Jesus Christ did. One of the beautiful things is this, is that he argues against them using their own terminology. It's a genius move on his part. Because he says, to rescue us from this present evil age. A Jewish breakdown of time. A Jewish breakdown of time goes as follows. That they believe that this present age is an age, is an era of evil. Now keep in mind, this is 55 AD in that area. And he's saying, this is an evil age. Why do I bring this up? Because every single generation believes that the generation that they're living in is the most evil age of all time. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not justifying that there's no problems or anything like that, but I'm saying this perspective has been around for a long time. And so Paul's addressing this issue, saying, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. I understand that you think it's an evil age. But the other part is this. The other part of a Jewish breakdown of time is this, that they believe the age to come is an era of righteousness and regeneration. And in essence, what Paul is saying, yes, this is an evil age, but I'm going to tell you this, I am bringing to you a message of regeneration, a message of righteousness. He's using their very understanding of time and saying, that's why I'm here. That's my mission. That's my mission. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In one verse, verse 4, Paul lays out several crucial aspects of Jesus' redeeming work. The whole reason why Jesus Christ came he talks about its cause. Its cause. Why did Jesus Christ came? Why did Jesus Christ show up on this planet? His reason is this. It's for our sins. It's because we were sinful. It's because we are sinful. And then he says this, who gave himself for us. It's means. It means, that, it means this. He gave himself. It, it, the, so we have the cause, which is our sin. What are we going to do about our sin? We have somebody that there, there has to be a method, a means to make things right. The means is through Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us to rescue us. It's purpose, it's effect. It's to rescue us from a certain separation from God. To rescue us, it's the whole purpose behind this. It's to be rescued. A number of years ago, two young boys, they were brothers and they enjoyed playing with one another. They were out playing on the sandbanks by a river. They would run all over these sandbanks, they would jump into the sandbanks, they would have a blast. 
And so they're running around one afternoon, and it's, it's, a, it's a little before dinner. And as they're running around, jumping on all these different, jumping from sandbank to sandbank, they run, and they, they jump together, and they land in the sandbank. But it was not solid. And they sunk. And they began scrambling because they were in trouble. When the boys did not return home for dinner, the family and the neighbors organized a search. And on this search, they look off in the sandbanks and they see the younger brother with only his head and shoulders exposed. He was unconscious. They began feverishly, furiously, getting all that sand away so that they could bring him up. And as they moved the sand away and got down to his waist, all of a sudden he became conscious. He woke up. And the searchers said this, where's your brother? And he looked at the rescuers and he said this I'm standing on his shoulders the older brother knew that there was no way they could get out of this together and in the midst of that crisis in the midst of that emergency the older brother said in essence I don't know how he did it but he positioned his brother to stand on his shoulders. The only way that that younger brother could get rescued was by somebody making a sacrifice. And the only reason, the only way that you and I can be rescued is by somebody making a sacrifice. That sacrifice being Jesus Christ. That sacrifice being the one who sets us free. That sacrifice being Jesus Christ's death on the cross and a resurrection from the dead. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Whose idea was this? Its origin, this whole gospel message origin is from the will of our God and Father. Well, when did that hatch? When did that plan hatch? Listen to these words from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is when God is speaking to the serpent, saying, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In Genesis chapter 3, God is saying, you're going to do some damage, but I'm going to tell you this, that I'm rescuing these people. It was from the very beginning, almost from the very beginning, God hatched a plan that said, I'm rescuing humanity. This wasn't some fly of the, you know, some spur of the moment type thing. God knew he was going to rescue humanity from the very beginning. And Paul says, look at this. Look at what I've just told you. I've laid out to you this gospel message, this gospel message that involves Jesus Christ and all that he did. 
He's the one who rescues. He's the one who delivers us. He's the one who gave himself up for this. He's the one who, who executed God's plan to rescue humanity. There is no other way to be rescued than Jesus Christ. And it's almost as if, God, almost as if Paul says, wow, that was a pretty good line I just came up with. And then he says this, to whom be glory forever and ever. This message that Paul is going to proclaim has only one response, and it's this, bring glory to God. That's what this message is all about. And then he says these words, amen. Amen. Amen means this, so be it. So be it. Paul's saying, I've laid everything out. It's for the rescue of humanity. And this message that I'm going to share with you as I go through this letter with you is to rescue humanity, so be it. Because Jesus Christ has rescued us, so be it. So I ask you this morning, do you understand the significance of what Jesus Christ has done for you? That he's done for all of us. Do we understand the significance that that has in our relationships with one another? Do we understand the significance that has in the way we live our lives that we don't have to keep trying to do more and more and more and more things to get God happy, to get God satisfied? It's been done through Jesus Christ, the one who rescues us. Do we understand that? Because one of the things that seems to happen in my life is this, is that I think I can add to what Jesus Christ has done. And every time I try to do that, it diminishes what Jesus Christ has done. Do you want to be rescued? Do you want to experience grace and peace? Then turn to Jesus Christ, the one who rescues us, the one who sets us free, the one who's there. And his grace is enough. Father, we pray as we contemplate these words we ask that your holy spirit would guide us and lead us and that we would grow in our appreciation for the sacrifice of jesus christ and what he did for us lord cause us over the course of the next number of weeks cause us to take a look at what's going on in our lives and where we think that we can prove ourselves and that you would then move in such a way where we would be set free by your grace and that we would be restored, we would be regenerated, that we would be renewed because of what you've accomplished through Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to do that very thing. And Lord, we thank you so much for what you did for us, how you rescued us, how it was your plan, not ours, and how you executed that plan flawlessly so that we can have true grace and true peace in this world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in our midst as we sing these next couple of songs, that you would remind us once again of who you are. And for those in this room that do not know you, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way to open their eyes, their hearts, to receive from you that abundant grace that rescues people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I invite the worship team to come back up, the worship uh, group to come back up. And as they get ready, I invite each and every one of us 
to reflect on these words that we've heard and then also as we sing these next couple of songs to sing out with with great appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so I invite you to stand now as we get ready to sing.